Yo, what's really good? This is your boy, A1 Hoops, tapping into your notification feed on this lovely Tuesday afternoon. So with that out of the way, here is the 48th episode of the podcast. Now, first up, let's go ahead and talk about the Los Angeles Lakers failed season. It is the 2021-2022 NBA season with about three games left for almost every single team in the league. And the Lakers are pretty much out of playoff contention. They're currently sitting at the 11th spot. It's pretty much over with. Now, heading into the season, as you guys will remember, uh, the Lakers had a lot of expectations on their shoulders. Obviously, they acquired Russell Westbrook. They traded away a lot of pieces to acquire him, KCP, Kyle Kuzma, Alex Caruso, you know, to make the salaries work out. Um, And in doing that, they acquired Russell Westbrook. Um, That was probably the number one mistake. So after acquiring Russell Westbrook, what we then learned was that DeMar DeRozan was a serious candidate of the Lakers as far as joining the team. And instead of going in that direction, obviously the Lakers ended up with Russell Westbrook for a big three of LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis. Now, that would have not been horrible had AD actually played more than, what, 20 games or so. But the fact of the matter is, with LeBron James and Russell Westbrook sharing the court, the chemistry just wasn't there. Russell Westbrook was significantly worse as a basketball player when he shared the court with LeBron James. In fact, in games that LeBron played alongside Russell Westbrook, my man only averaged 17 points per game, 7 boards, 6 assists, and he shot an abysmal 27% from three. And he actually shot worse than the free throw line, only 65%. Um, they were only 25 and 30 in games together. So they had a losing record in games that LeBron and Russ played together. Now, obviously, that's for a few reasons. For one, Russell Westbrook is just not an off-ball player. That's not somebody you pair up with a LeBron James. That was flawed from the moment it happened. Um, we've all seen LeBron James play for many years now. We know what he brings to the table. He's a player who f- primarily likes to bring the ball up the court. That's pretty much his bread and butter. He's the most effective with the basketball in his hand. Obviously, we know that because LeBron James is one of the very best basketball players you've ever seen, one of the best floor generals, highest IQs ever, one of the best playmakers ever. Um, not, to take, not to take anything away from Russ, who's also an elite playmaker of uh, you know in his own right, but he just simply doesn't match up to the status that LeBron James has acquired. And not to make matters worse, Russ can't shoot. So, I mean, when you have a team with LeBron James, the first thing you want <laughs> is somebody who can shoot. But you want somebody who's a sniper from outside. Um, and not to say that DeMar is a sniper by any means, but the thing about DeMar is he's great off the ball, and he's elite in the mid-range. He actually has a mid-range jump shot that he can go to in his bag, something that Russ has literally gotten worse at throughout his career. Um, if you've watched Russ very early in his career, back in even back in the OKC days, he had a really, really good mid-range pull-up jumper, especially in transition, that used to give teams the absolute work. I'm pretty sure you guys seen that interview where you know, somebody asked him about it and he was like oh it's cash you know me and my pops worked on that but as the years went on that's just it's declined he can't hit a mid-range jumper there's like a good five minute clip on youtube of russ just breaking mid-range jump shots this season for the los angeles lakers so when you pair a guy like russ who can't shoot is literally not effective at all without the basketball next to somebody like lebron james you're already flawed at the core because those are your two best players um, that have been healthy this season, obviously, uh, 
not withholding Anthony Davis. So that automatically doesn't work. It never worked from the jump. Um, they had the opportunity to get DeMar DeRozan, but according to Magic Johnson, that didn't go through because when he became available, the Lakers, especially LeBron, had already been talking to Russell Westbrook, so that's how that went, um, which is very, very unfortunate. Um, Anthony Davis being a huge question mark this season, that was also a big reason as to why the Lakers have been pretty much trash. Let's just keep it honest. Um, AD played about 20 games this year. He was also hurt a lot last year. Outside of the bubble year, which is the 2019-2020 season, AD really hasn't produced much at all. Um, he just, for some reason, a lot of people have claimed that he doesn't love the game of basketball. Um, a lot of people have made these just assumptions about AD's character as far as how he feels about the game of basketball based on the fact that he's always missing games. Um, I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if that's really fair to Anthony Davis as a basketball player. Um, that seems more like just, you know, the media being the media, hyping things up, making assumptions. For me, Anthony Davis, it's not so much that he doesn't love the game of basketball because there's no, no, there's no way in hell you can be as good as Anthony Davis and not love the game of basketball. <laughs> AD is one of the very mo- the most ta- one of the most talented power forwards we've ever seen in the history of the NBA. Um, he can shoot, not this year at all, but he can shoot. You know, he can score down low. He he has ball handling skills. I mean, he's six foot eleven, six ten, and he's one of the best defenders in the league as well. So it's not a question of him loving the game because how are you one of the best defenders but you don't love the game? Defense is like ninety percent effort, so you got to love something to want to put effort towards it, right? No, the issue with Anthony Davis is not only his jump shot, which was horrible this season, but the fact that he just can't stay healthy. I think maybe he needs some milk. I don't know what's going on as far as his nutrition and diet. He's just so injury prone. And people point to the 2020 season as him, you know, showcasing some type of durability. But to that, I say, no, he had a three month break in the middle of the season. So, of course, he's going to look real good, you know, and rejuvenated for the playoffs which he was very dominant for, don't get me wrong. Um, A lot of people kind of sweep under the rug the fact that AD damn near almost outplayed LeBron if he did actually outplay LeBron for that entire postseason. So we know what Anthony Davis is capable, capable of as a basketball player, but that's not what this is about. We're in 2022, and the fact of the matter is AD's injuries and just him being out, him not being a reliable face as far as showing up in basketball games is another huge reason why the Los Angeles Lakers just couldn't find any type of success at all. Um, Now, outside of the big three, well, actually, you know what? No, let's talk about LeBron himself. LeBron is, is getting older. He's not playing much defense anymore. His scoring has been very impressive. He's scoring at the highest rate he's done in at least the last 10 years. Um, but it does seem more like he's trying to chase a record instead of win basketball games. He hasn't been very clutch at all. We saw that game a few nights ago where, you know, he pumped fate to get the defenders off of him and took a, a game tying or game winning three, you know, uh, no, the three was to send it in overtime and he completely airballed. So as far as, you know, clutch this season, he hasn't been, it kind of just seems like he's more concerned about scoring the ball than he has been, you know, as far as winning games. Um, this is the lowest amount of assists he's averaged in a few years. Um, and the most amount of points he's averaged in a few years as well. So it definitely seems like he's been more geared towards chasing a record, which I'm not here to slander LeBron for that at all. If you have a chance to break you know, Kareem's record, you go for it. But it just hasn't seemed like it's been contributing to winning basketball games. Now, for me, I think that's more of a testament to the fact that LeBron just simply can't impact the game like he once could because he is getting older. But even with that being said, 
nobody in NBA history in year 19 has done what LeBron James has done as far as his productivity on a basketball court. I mean, damn near 30 points per game in year 19. I think the second best um, scoring output for a player in year 19 was, I believe, Kareem at 14, um, if I'm not mistaken. But that's besides the point. The point is LeBron does share some blame here because, yes, the scoring was has been impressive, but it seems like he's been putting his scoring um, over winning as far as his priorities. Now, moving on to the rest of the basketball team, Frank Vogel has been inconsistent all year as a coach. We don't know what's going on with him. This team had zero perimeter defenders. Um, at one point throughout the season, everybody was like speculating and waiting for Kendrick Nunn to return as if he's some savior. He's a, he was a solid basketball player, especially for the Miami Heat. His rookie season, he was putting up about 15 points per game, which is very solid. Um, a pretty good point guard as far as bringing the ball up the floor. But nothing nothing that he was going to you know save life. He wasn't changing anybody's life. You know, you know what would have changed life, though, for the Lakers? Keeping Alex Caruso, who's one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. Um, Kyle Kuzma's been balling in Washington. I mean, it, it almost seems as if the narrative that LeBron makes players better isn't as true as the narrative that players get better when they leave LeBron. I mean, we've seen Brandon Ingram blossom into a damn near all-star level talent. We've seen Kyle Kuzma take a leap forward. We've seen Lonzo Ball play excellent basketball in Chicago. Um, Alex Russo, same thing with him. But this Lakers team was just flawed from the start because instead of getting DeMar DeRozan, they got Russell Westbrook. That was the main thing. Um, we see DeMar DeRozan playing like an MVP caliber player this season. Outside of, you know, as of late, I mean, DeMar's been kind of inconsistent as of late. But for the most part throughout this season, DeMar's been a hooper. Um, and he's been playing a lot better than Russ has at any point this season. Um, and then the next biggest thing as to why the Lakers have failed as a team is because of the Anthony Davis issue. He just simply can't be counted on to, uh, you know, to play to play consistently. Now, moving forward and transitioning to a completely unrelated topic, we're going to be talking about the return of the big men because for the majority of, well, not just recently, but NBA history, the league has been dominated by wings, by two guards and small forwards. Um, Elgin Baylor, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Dr. J, Magic, who's not really a wing, but he's wing-sized. Um, you look at somebody like Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis Antetokounmpo. For the most part, James Harden, Dwayne Wade. For the most part in NBA history, the league has been dominated predominantly by wings. And why is that? Because... They're small enough to still have a great impact on the offensive side as far as handling the rock and shooting the basketball, which is what, you know, really impacts the offensive end. But they're also, for the most part, because they're not super small, still have a significant impact on a defensive end as well. So someone like a Michael Jordan, a LeBron James, a Kawhi Leonard, there's a perfect height for a basketball player because they're not so tall to where they can't handle the ball anymore, but they're also not too small to where they don't really have much of an impact defensively outside of the person that they're guarding, which is typically the issue with point guards. Point guards normally don't um, impact the floor defensively too much because they can. They're, they're smaller. They can only really defend one person at a time. Um, unlike a big man who has the opposite issue. Big men can't really handle the ball, but they have such a great impact defensively. So that's why a wing or a forward-sized player usually dominate the league 
as far as what you look for, what can lead you to a championship. Now, I'm saying all that to say this. It's almost like we're returning to the to the big man being dominant in the league. Um, during the 90s, the big man was prominent. You had someone like Hakeem Olajuwon. You had David Robinson. You had a younger Shaq. You had Carl Malone, Charles Barkley. You had uh, Patrick Ewing. You had big men who were dominating the league. Alonzo Mourning as well. Um, Dikembe Mutombo. Right? The list goes on and on. Just the 90s was the golden era of big men. And now we're in a situation in today's game where it almost seems like we're getting back to that. You know, we have players like Nikola Jokic, who's one of the very best offensive players, not just today, but in NBA history. We have players like uh, Rudy Gobert, who's one of the best defenders we've seen in the NBA in quite some time. And then not only that, we have Cat. Cat, who's literally just such a skilled big man, who's probably the best shooting big man ever outside of Dirk, and that's debatable. Um, and he can score down low as well. And then you have somebody like Joel Embiid, who literally does everything you want as far as scoring the basketball. He's elite down low. He, you know, he has great touch around the rim. He can score. He has all the post moves in his bag, but he can also step out and shoot a three ball. That's not his specialty per se, but he has a respectable jump shots where you can't just leave him um, unattended from behind the arc. So, but well, the reason why I'm bringing all this is because. Right now, the MVP race is between two big men. It's between Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. We haven't been able to say that in any season like that I can think of since like maybe Dwight Howard was was uh, in his peak. Like the the big man is literally there's only two real MVP candidates in my eyes, and it's Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. Um, you can throw Giannis in there if you want as well. I'm not sure if he's a big or a forward. However, you want to describe him. But even if you think he's a big, that kind of adds to my point. The MVP race at that in that case would be a three-man race. Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis. Those seem to be on the top of everybody's list. And all three of those players are above 6'11". So it's almost like we're starting to get back into the, the era of the big man like we were in the, in the 90s. And outside of those three MVP candidates, there's other great big men in the league. You have somebody like Bam Adebayo, who's a really well-rounded offensive player but also a defensive player um he can pass the ball he can score a little bit down low he has a respectable mid-range jump shot and he's just great defensively but the thing about bam is he's not really excellent at any one part he's kind of just good at everything and he still hasn't extended to the three-point line yet um you have a guy like cat who's not really an mvp candidate but as i mentioned earlier he pretty much gives you whatever you need offensively um it's just it's just so many great bigs in the nba and you know, a guy like Rudy Gobert, who's really not an offensive threat at all, but he's just one of the best defensive players we've seen in a while. So it's almost like it's a big man renaissance. For the last few seasons, it's kind of seen more like a point guard league, you know, with the rise of like a Steph, a Trey, a Ja, uh, a Luka, um, you name it, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook. We had Derrick Rose go on a little stretch. So we've had so many great point guards, but it finally seems like we're getting back to the, you know, the roots of basketball, which is the big man dominate the league. And we haven't been able to say that other than two times in NBA history. The 90s, when it was Hakeem Olajuwon and so on and so forth. And then the 60s and 70s, when it was Bill Russell, Will, and Kareem. But outside of that, it's been predominantly a wing league, especially in the 80s. Um, the early 2000s, the 2010s, it's been mostly a, a forward league. But now we're getting back to what, you know, basketball started off as, which was big men's dominating. And then, you know, 
they, everybody else kind of fills in around that. I mean, Nikola Jokic has his Nuggets team competitive without Jamal Murray or MPJ. It's literally just Nikola Jokic and some, you know, solid, player, solid players like Aaron Gordon, Highland Bones. But for the most part, it's pretty much just Jokic. Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid has been dominant. Giannis has always been dominant. Two-way player, both sides of the court, elite. And, I mean, it's crazy to see, you know, I'm excited to see how this looks moving forward. I'm excited to see what these players do in the playoffs. Um, Joel Embiid hasn't been past the second round in his career. And I look for that to change, especially with the addition of James Harden and then that just excellent Sixers basketball team. Um, I'm, looking, I'm looking for Nikola Jokic to at least make it out the first round. Um, we'll see if that actually comes to fruition, but you know who knows. Um, I'm looking for Giannis Antetokounmpo to get his team real deep in the playoffs. We'll see how that goes, but it really does seem like the big man is getting more of an emphasis in today's game. Now, next up, let's go ahead and you know, speaking of Giannis, let's go ahead and talk about Giannis for a moment because he's probably the least talked about superstar or at least top five player this season. Um, we've given a lot of media attention or you know fan attention to people like Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid, and rightfully so. I mean, they've been spectacular top-tier players this season, but we don't really give enough credit to Giannis this season. It's almost like as if people are bored of him, but he's just quietly having maybe his second or best season of his career. Uh, he's currently averaging 30 points per game with about 12 boards on ridiculous efficiency. He's shooting 55% from the floor. He has an effective field goal percentage of 58. And his true shooting percentage is 63.3, which is the second best of his career. Um, And the defense can never be overstated. Giannis is a completely elite defensive player. Not because, you know, he's a lockdown on-ball defender, but it's the rim protection. It's the help defense. It's the transition defense. um, It's the post defense. All these things that which he's elite at because of his size and athleticism and length. Um, Giannis Antetokounmpo legitimately, if if we're being real, real honest, if he can put together a lot of longevity, um, maybe uh, another champion. Lead, maybe another. Maybe leading to his team. Maybe leading his team to another championship or something like that. We might be talking about another top twenty player in NBA history. Now on Twitter over the last few days, I've seen people compare him to Kawhi, compare him to James Harden on the all time list, and people are saying, "Oh, you know, James Harden is easily ahead of Giannis as an all time player." Um, I don't see that at all. I respectfully disagree. I understand why people feel that James Harden is better simply because James Harden is clear as an offensive basketball player. Um, I'm going to go ahead and tell you why I feel Giannis is better all time. Um, For one, defensively, it couldn't be further apart. Um, I'm not going to sit here and make a casual take that, you know, James Harden is an awful defender. Maybe this year, yeah, but um, he got better as a defensive player from, I would say, 2019, 2020, I mean, that time period, his last few years in Houston, he was not a horrible defender at all. Um, he was pretty marginal. Like he, wasn't, he wasn't a clear negative like a, like a Trey Young would be, which was what he was earlier in his career. But that being said, he's not the defensive player that Giannis is. And I understand that, you know, defense isn't quite equal to offense in terms of value. You, you normally would value offense a little bit more. Um, I get that, and I do agree with that. But the gap between them just couldn't be further. Giannis is one of the most elite defenders in the league. And James Harden, particularly this season and throughout most of his career, has been consistently a terrible defender outside of a few years where he tried a little bit more. Um, That gap is just so wide. 
And the fact that Giannis, even though he may not be the scorer James Harden is, he's still a great scorer within his own right. I mean, he's one of the most effective at the most effective shot in basketball, which is scoring at the basket, driving and scoring at the rim. Giannis this season is shooting 76% at the basket, which is something that Shaq used to do during his heydays if you look at field goal percentage at the rim. Um, the rim is the most effective shot in basketball, and Giannis is one of the very best at doing it. Um, yeah, he can't shoot the three ball, but I mean, if we're, I mean, <laughs> this might sound like a little bit of a stretch, but 30% as a shooter, when you're a, technically a center, you're, you're really a center in terms of like your height and your size is still like not, it's, it's not, it's not, he's not awful. You know what I mean? Like he's not a, someone who will never hit a three. He will hit one or two a night. You know what I mean? And that, coupled with the fact that he's one of the best ever at scoring at the basket, that coupled with the fact that he's shooting much better this season from the free throw line at 72%, which is not far off from league average. I believe league average is 76 or so. I mean, yes, the scoring gap is large. James Harden's one of the best scorers ever. Giannis can't make that claim at all. But Giannis still scores an elite level to where the playmaking gap, I think, doesn't make up for the gap in defense and the fact that they aren't totally far off as scorers. Now let's talk about the playoffs. Now the, the and the interesting thing is when the people who support Harden, they'll say you know the 2021 playoffs was an outlier season. They say things oh it's an outlier. He had one good playoff run, right? Where is the good playoff run that James Harden had? I'll wait as a listener. Just I'll wait because every single year in the playoffs. Right? And I'm not asking you to tell me when he, James Harden played good in the playoffs. That's not what I meant to ask. What I meant to ask was, when has James Harden rose in the playoffs? That hasn't happened yet. James Harden has never rose in the playoffs compared to his regular season self. Every single season he dropped off. Every single season for the last, well, I want to say five, six years, James Harden has got worse in the playoffs compared to his respective regular season self. So if Giannis hasn't one outlier year where he played good, why doesn't James Harden have an outlier year? As a playoff performer, what is James Harden's signature playoff series? <coughs> Excuse me. Doesn't have one. Giannis was excellent against Brooklyn. Giannis was dominant against the Phoenix Suns when he had 50 points in a closeout game. A closeout game six. That's like Jordan territory. What are we really talking about here? The gap between them as defenders, the gap between them as playoff performers is 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 it's larger than the gap between them as playmakers, I promise you. And it's also larger than the gap between them as scorers. So, yeah, James Harden's a better scorer by a good amount. He's the he's the better playmaker by a large amount. But Giannis is a better defender by like literally a Grand Canyon, and Giannis is a better playoff performer by a large amount as well. And Look, a lot of people don't like, oh, you know, championships, this and that. People dispense that as a team accomplishment. But the fact of the matter is Giannis led his team to a championship against great competition. He got the job done. The goal at the end of the day is to win. That it, That's what it is. And it's not some, oh, you know, Robert Rory has eight rings. No, 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 no. Giannis led his team. He was the main reason why they won. James Harden, a lot of times in his career, has been the main reason why his team has lost. Because we remember that two eleven two for eleven uh, game against the San Antonio Spurs, and then he followed that up with like a two for nine night with like what ten turnovers, something like that, against the San Antonio Spurs. Granted, he had a concussion. Okay, um, I remember when he lost to the Warriors in round one without Steph. 
I, I recall that. I remember these things. James Harden has been a playoff choke artist and has been a reason as to why his teams have lost, whereas Giannis has been a reason as to why his teams have won. So that, to me, is a difference. Now, enough of that comparison because this section wasn't meant to be a comparison between Giannis and James Harden. This is meant to be just appreciating Giannis's game and appreciating where he might end up one day. Um, I still think he's a very flawed player. I do think that free, that free throw percentage needs to get up. I think he needs to become more respectable in the mid-range. And I think that three-point percentage can use, uh, you know, three, four percent higher. If Giannis can be like a 34% three-point shooter on about five attempts, I think that would be spectacular for his basketball career. Now, next up, let's talk about Kyrie Irving. Um, there's a debate about whether or not the Nets should even look to resign Kyrie or if Kyrie should stay or, or if the Nets even would want Kyrie Irving. Um, this morning I watched um, a segment of Speak for Yourself with uh, Marcus Wiley and uh, what's the other dude? Acho. There you go. Um, pretty much slandering Kyrie. I'm going to be honest with y'all. Talking about why would you even want to re-sign Kyrie Irving? Um, I don't get like why that's even a question. I really, I really don't. Outside of the whole, you know, him holding out because he didn't want to get vaccinated. What is the reason why you wouldn't want Kyrie Irving? My man dropped. He, my man had a sixty-point game on like thirty shots against Orlando. My man had another uh, had a fifty-point game just a few nights prior. In games that he's played this season, Kyrie Irving has been nothing short of sensational, ridiculous. And his main argument, Acho's main argument for why Kyrie shouldn't, why the Nets shouldn't sign Kyrie, is because they were like 10-15 this season in games that Kyrie played. Wow, what ten and fifteen? Uh, that that's that was his only argument. It's just oh because uh, they've lost uh, five more games and they won, and that's the reason why they should go ahead and just not resign one of like the fifteen best players in the world. Um, Kyrie Irving is the best dribbler, ball handler that has ever stepped foot on earth. Like who has ever came out of a womb. He's one of the best shot makers the NBA has ever seen. He's literally a top five. He he's he's the, he's one of the five most skilled players in NBA history. This season in games that he's played, because apparently that's what you have to say when you talk about Kyrie. He's averaging twenty seven point one, which is which would be top ten in the league if he qualified. Um, five point six assists. He's shooting ninety percent from the free throw line. He has an effective field goal percentage of fifty four. He's shooting forty two percent from three. And he ain't shooting 47% from the field. He's damn near 50-40-90 again. But we're talking about whether or not that he should be re-signed. Um, are you serious? <laughs> and then he went on to blame and say that he made the Celtics worse as a basketball team. Mind you, Jason Tatum himself came out and said, Kyrie did not make us worse. That was not his fault. So I'm supposed to take Acho's word, a football player, might I add over an NBA player, someone who actually played with Kyrie and was there. They made the second round with Kyrie Irving, right? Something that Russell Westbrook couldn't do. Russ didn't get out the second round until he left OKC without KD. But we don't, make, we don't say Russ made his teams worse. We don't do that. Kyrie made it to the second round. Russ couldn't make it out the first round. And he had Paul George and Carmelo on his basketball team and Steven Adams. But Kyrie makes his teams worse, right? Um, the Nets would be so stupid to go ahead and let Kyrie leave or if Kyrie does leave if it's up to them um you don't just trade away or or, or let somebody walk who's a 27 point per game scorer who shoots 40 percent from three and 
I mean, <laughs> um, the vaccine uh, restriction in New York City has been has been lifted, so Kyrie can play all the games. Now he can play at home and away. So there's literally like no reason or distraction as to why you would get rid of him. The biggest thing for Kyrie this year was the fact that he just didn't want to play because he didn't want to get vaccinated. Now, however you feel about the vaccine, that's how you feel about it. But the, at the end of the day, he was just doing, he was standing up for something that he believed in. Are we going to crucify a man for that? No, that's stupid. Every single time you turn on first take, all you hear is Stephen A. questioning um, Kyrie's loyalty to his teammates. Oh, uh, they're just slandering Kyrie at any point. And he feels like, because he says how box office he is, that it justifies all the negative things that he says about Kyrie Irving. And that just simply isn't true. You literally get on TV every morning and just try to get people riled up for views and for, and for clout and for money just to slander Kyrie Irving's name because he wanted to get vaccinated. He didn't want to get vaccinated. Um, and now that the vaccine mandate has been lifted, Stephen A has nothing to say about Kyrie Irving. When's the last time you've heard him make a negative comment about Kyrie? You haven't. Even when Kyrie dropped 60, the first thing Stephen A. Smith said at that point in time, because the vaccine mandate was still going on, was that, um, oh, he brought up the fact that he brought up the fact that Kyrie's being, quote unquote, selfish. That's the first thing he said. Ridiculous. So should the Nets re-sign Kyrie Irving? The better question is, why would you not re-sign Kyrie? Why would you not? Why would you not re-sign one of the 15 best players in the world? Why would you not re-sign a 27-point-per-game scorer who's shooting 40% from three? Why would you not re-sign the best ball handler in NBA history? Are you serious? The fact that that was even a segment this morning on Speak for Yourself is a joke. The NBA media should literally be canceled. It's literally pathetic. Like, they're literally out here just trying to slander Kyrie just for the views at this point. Now, with that out of the way, that was the episode of the podcast. Make sure you guys tune in. I'm going to be doing these every Wednesday for sure. Um, I know today's Tuesday, but every Wednesday I'm going to be putting these out. Um, so make sure you guys subscribe to the podcast on literally every single platform. Follow me on Twitter at A1Hoops if you want to interact with me you know, quickly, daily, easily. Um, definitely subscribe to me on YouTube. Follow me everywhere at A1Hoops. With that being said, God bless. Love you all. Have a good one.